0: You're listening to World Building for Masochists.
1: And we're wondering why we do this to ourselves.
0: I suppose I went world building because I followed a cat to a dog hole, tried to make it through the dog hole myself, ended up making it through eventually, landed up on the other side, then was wondering what I would do with my life and decided I would just worldbuild instead. My name is not Slim Shady, uh, it's Ehiborokosun. Ehiborokosun.
1: <laughs> I'm Marsha Ryan Maresca.
2: I'm Rowena Miller.
3: I'm Cass Morris, and this is episode 109, The Myth, The Legend, The Cultural Impacts.
2: Welcome back, listeners, to another exciting episode, and we are super excited to have a guest with us today. Hi! Hi.
0: I'm sorry, I'm not a Midwestern princess.
2: It's <laughs> really okay. Hi, I,
0: I am Mahibora Kosun. I, uh, write speculative fantasy um i also you know dabble in mystery thriller and contemporary here and there but i am an original lover of fantasy and the author of the forthcoming forged by blood is out on august 8th please check it out if you're into west african inspired uh, myth fantasy and epic oh well, just yeah epic fantasy and just fun a fun good time that's that's all I have
2: so forged forged by blood sounds really good I haven't gotten I haven't gotten chance to dig in much but can you give us like a quick pitch synopsis tell oh, us yeah, a little absolutely. bit more about so,
0: it so uh my quick bitch was always an orphan girl from the um kingdom of affair must use her forbidden magic to kidnap the man responsible for her mother's death and keep him alive long enough to free her people um Usually when I pitch this, people just go like, oh, well, you know, when I get to the mother's death, they're like, oh, yeah, this dude is this, toast, right? Um, and then I'm like, keep him alive. And they're like, oh, okay, like, no, now that's the struggle. And I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> it is. It is indeed a struggle. Um, yeah
3: yeah not not murdering people who deserve it is a just constant trial just i feel
2: like we can all deeply identify
0: with that Mm -hmm. in many ways yeah i mean especially these days when we read the news and things are happening and we just keep thinking "Hmm, if only Hmm." well let me move a little (laughs) bit away from you know from
1: from the murder from
3: the murder murder. uh dear nsa agents listening to this podcast we're all kidding we're all kidding. Yep. None of us. We're have all ever just
1: writers. Homicide.
3: We just think I'm... about it in fictional ways. Fictional. Yep. Highly exactly. fictional. Hi, Brad. Purely
1: fictional homicide. Yep. The,
2: st- the stabby stab's a joke. <laughs> yeah. I-, I, named- I named my NSA agent.
1: I mean, it's important <laughs> to have a good relationship with your NSA agent.
2: Yeah. The things we Google, you have to assume <laughs> we're ending gosh. up on watch lists somewhere. <laughs>
0: yeah
1: that'd be very that'd actually be comforting that there's like a division of the nsa agents who just know that they're just checking out fiction writers and be like oh yeah yeah uh, looking forward to that book when it comes out because like, <laughs> that's some twisted stuff they just go. they
0: just call their superior and they go like hey uh this one do you think this one's a bestseller or should we move this one finally to the, to the list of um definitely should do a raid soon yeah <laughs>
1: Maybe, maybe that is, like, because there always is, like, the sort of, like, the secret magic of whatever of, like, which books get decided to be bestsellers and which ones just, you know, languish. And maybe it's it's the NSA who, like, (laughs) decide these things. Because it wasn't
3: bleak (laughs) and slimy enough. Let's... Let's say, Marshall, are you blaming the deep state for the fact that we're not bestsellers? Is that really what you're doing right now?
1: I mean maybe it's a theory (laughs) Hmm.
0: considering the amount of monitoring we do undergo and we don't have anything like GDPR in the states you know Mm -hmm. I'm just I mean maybe maybe the government is involved if you're listening NSA please make me a bestseller thanks
3: Yeah, you can have all my data you want if you do that. Like, that's that's a fair deal.
1: I I accept those terms and conditions.
2: They're selling selling your soul to the devil at the crossroads, and then they're selling your data to the NSA.
3: This is why I can't be trusted to make Faye bargains. I just be like, yeah, absolutely, sign me up.
0: I'll walk straight into that mushroom circle. Fine, whatever. You're starting a TikTok. Is this where we find out that one of you are oh. actually like, TikTok famous and you have you've sold your soul to the devil? Oh, no. No, I tried. Mm. I spent eight months trying
3: to sell my soul to the TikTok demons and it didn't work, so I gave up.
1: You had one... I
3: had one semi... No, it was like tiny viral. It was like the tiniest. Like... But it had
1: nothing to do with books.
3: <laughs> nothing to do with my writing, of course. It was the dumbest pagan joke I could possibly have made. And that, of course, was what... And that was the one thing that did any kind of number at all. Yeah. No, and then I I did I I let, like that fairy bargain wasn't treating me well enough. Like that was boring
2: fairy circles. I'm like I'm gonna go find a better one. Can respect that. So modern modern myth building of what we bargain for in our in our world. Oh, aside, the self mythologizing of influencers. That's a whole. I, I, I think we should come back to that later. I think we should come back to that. Um, I was curious. We ask all of our guests. At, um, but I am very curious to know. What do you enjoy about world building? Like what? Do you enjoy digging into? What do you geek out about? Oh, gosh, that's a a huge question. (laughs) Um,
0: Really everything. (laughs) Um, Everything. Language. I care a lot about language. I wouldn't have spent my time just wandering into like tacking on a linguistics degree for funsies because i was like oh i can do this too yes let's go um and uh then of course my thesis i created an original language let's just get to that another time um (laughs) i
1: i I just want to throw this out there because i know the answer but i want to i want to stun our listeners how many languages do you speak
0: marshall this is like a fifth (laughs) friend day question not the first <laughs> like 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 why are you just throwing me at like just like just shut like you just took me and just threw me into the
1: river um, no it's
0: our listeners will think it's so cool though
1: it, they they'll will. love it i love it
0: they will uh, oh god uh okay um i i guess i define this by fluency and fun- like functionality now but i'm
2: functional in nine languages and fluent in six so yeah, that's me. That's fucking rad. So, <laughs> you are an excellent person to travel with then. Because yes. Anywhere you go, yeah, you, you can. <laughs> sure.
0: Thank you. I did go to a fair once. So I think it's, I don't know, the people who are up in Virginia, they do like recruiting things for if you want to work for them and the person was like looking at my resume and he was just like oh you know you speak this like and this uh, you know we do have spots opening up you know we just have to train you I'm not like what is the place in Virginia I just know it's in Virginia is it Quantico is it <laughs> is it is it is it the FBI it. or the CIA is that what I you're telling us like is that, that you
1: is it Quantico or Langley, Langley. Yeah, yeah, yeah Langley,
2: Langley. Oh, gosh, no, no, I think it's... yeah. Is it it's, s- is it's someone wondering. who can secretly make you a bestseller?
1: Oh, well,
2: let's hope. <laughs> if you're listening, I'm still here. <laughs>
1: I'll
0: take you up on that offer, but, you know, in a different way. <laughs> But yeah, that. Uh, so I love so many things about world building. I love language. I love um, time systems. I think that's something that people sort of like assume moves in one way in the world, and it really doesn't. Um, I love that there are like like topographical systems that like change the game. Um, I think of things as like geopolitical. So if this places invading this place like what were all the things that led to this happening right because it's not as simple as here's the good guy here's the bad guy blah 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 right it's always you know all these questions of this place is lacking resources um the topography like lent itself to them having like fantastic Castilla defense and like this led to this right and you can just see the changes over time um you can see you know i mean yeah, so I love I love all of those things about world building, and I, I wish people would think about them more. I love even the things people don't think about, right, which is like the gender dynamics of the world, because, again, people think that gender works the same way all the world around. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. Right. And if you <laughs> spoke more languages, you would know that. <laughs> um, and uh, so you get very, I think, uh, well, I. Another, I think one thing I will will say I love about world building that I think people also don't think too much about is intimacy. I think intimacy plays a huge role in world building. Um, You have cultures where people get very close and the thing you would call personal space doesn't really exist. And you have cultures where like personal space is a rigid and defined kind of thing. And if you violate that, then that produces a response that nobody would be shocked at and I, I think that that is, a, that is something that's been very fascinating to me now that I live in the States is to just see that and to put it in my world building so if you're listening David uh, and you read the chapter that I just wrote last night <clears throat> that, that, that's why <laughs> David is my editor so
1: I thought David was your NSA agent
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> da- David is Go my away. NSA agent but I never said that <laughs> <laughs> you will never know oh will you
3: I love that look on, on intimacy and like personal space and other ways of communicating intimacy especially where it does overlap with language I, I have a background in Shakespeare and the intimacy of address in in early modern English between not just between you and thou but also between like Do you use a title with someone? Is it an honorific? Can you use a nickname with them? Like the ways you can address someone can communicate so much about your familiarity with this person or the level of respect you want to show them or the level of insult you want to offer them. And it's like that's we still kind of have it in English now, but it was there were so many more levels and layers to it. It was so much more codified, I think, um, 400 years ago. And that always delighted me about about that studying those
0: oh god here's where you also find out that i am a shakespeare nerd and used to do professional shakespeare oh my gosh like the Shakespearean theater and like done that for years and okay well anyway we'll we'll talk about this we will we'll talk about like how and full (laughs) staff and all the things you can pull out of their relationship really quickly in the first few lines because you're like oh this tells me so much about your dynamic but anyway
2: yes so considering that you love all things world building and all the <laughs> complexities and all of the ways that you can dig into all that nitty gritty stuff, what are one or two things that you really enjoyed pulling into um, your upcoming book?
0: Oh, gosh. Okay, so one, I'll, I'll do a macro and a micro. Yeah. Uh, so a macro thing I really enjoyed pulled, like pulling into this book is really kind of a celebration of some of the myths like I grew up with and um, the idea that the fantastical and the spiritual like affects the everyday and is in the everyday um, and is not sort of like a rigid or defined thing. Um, I <laughs> a few a few months ago, uh, me I uh, dropped bitter medicine and I read it breezed through it. it was like this is fun this is great and you know there was someone who'd asked me a question and they said like oh but but you know wouldn't you want to know where all the the powers that L has like where all of this comes from and I was kind of like well part of the point is it's not explicitly stated if, if you know you know and if you don't you don't right and it, there's not really a need to sort of like over dissect or you know think what are the direct rules right because the rules change the situation right and so I think working on forged by blood one thing I really wanted to focus on is like you have the gods and you have magic but magic isn't something that is magic is a living thing right magic makes its own decisions like spirits make their own decisions and so you could have all this like grand plan of how you want things to shake out and they have their ideas of how they want things to shake out and so at best you're always coming back you're always asking you're always just trying to trying to negotiate that kind of relationship and so that was a huge thing that i loved um working on by blood and you know in working on the sequel now that is due so very soon um teasing that out even more right showing people that it's not um yes like i know that you want there to be a sword in the stone that we can just pull out and you know we just know that you were fulfilling this prophecy but what if what if it's not that simple not okay. to say that the sword in the stone is not is simple but that's that's my macro <laughs> Oh and I
2: love that because it totally challenges the way that magic is often treated as being very like utilitarian. You use magic like no, if it's a, a relationship in some ways, you can't use it. You have to Oh, I love that. Yeah. That, More reasons that... to add this to your TBR, listeners. <laughs> Sounds amazing.
0: <laughs> no, there was there's something there's so I I don't know if I'm allowed to do spoilers. Um but there's something very specific there's a very specific kind of magic that one of the main characters uses and that magic comes with a price every single time right and part of the negotiation like this character has as they're moving through the world is making sure that they're never Caught on the wrong side of that balance because if they are, there, there is a price that like there, there are no two ways about it. It's there, there is no like oh sorry like (laughs) didn't think about that right. It's just that the price is exacted and you have to live with it. And it's it's also not the magic is not like a continual wellspring of like this is here now I could do what I want right. Um, you have to sort of like manage, um manage a lot of things right so that was that was the big macro and I think the micro that I really was very interested in was just the interpersonal and how the interpersonal plays with um, the political as well Um, because I'm a big fan of power matrices and so my world has power matrices, right? You're going to have some people, matrices, sorry. Um, You're going to have some people who have power in some ways and not in others. And you're going to have some people who are more aware of the power they have and less aware of power that they do have, but they're not, you know, they're not cognizant of it because they take it for granted. So that's something that is just has always fascinated me is very interesting to me um, and something that I'm also sorry to my NSA agent. I'm also writing a grim, dark fantasy about, but we'll put that for
2: another time. And I love that. Um, I mean, you've the macro and micro, but they seem to interweave together in so many, I'm sure, interesting and fun and fun for your characters ways. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Fun for the characters. That's fun. (laughs) That's our job, is to make it fun. Yeah.
0: Make it fun.
1: Chase them up a tree, because it's fun. (laughs) Throw rocks at them, because it's fun. Their (laughs) lives
2: would be so boring without us. I know. know,
1: Exactly. They should be grateful. We we keep it interesting.
2: (laughs) So we touched a little bit on on myth already, but I thought we should like kind of rewind and get sort of pedantic for a minute and define what do we mean by myth? Because myth is one of those words I think that culturally we often use it just to mean like a made up story, myths and legends, fairy tales, Um, you know, is it, is it myth or, or true? And I think that the kind of myths we're talking about, it's a little bit more complex and I would say interesting than just a made up story.
0: Well, I think you're directing that question actually to me and not to the other fine people on the screen. <laughs> anyone, like... anyone
2: who wants to jump in, but <laughs> I have a feeling that you have brilliant things to say about it. I have, so...
0: something, I have something specific <laughs> to say, but I'm, I'm actually pulling um, the specific thing. Um, I read an article a few months ago um, at the Fantasy Cafe with the very lovely Kate. Thank you, Kate, for that article. It was fantastic. Thank you for the space for that. Um, and the article begins Myth is shift- shape shifting eternity wrapped in godhood and shadow, right? Because mm-hmm. um, that's how I see it. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> that's how I see myth. I see um, myth as, um, yeah, I'm, I'm so I, I grew up very much in the world where the fantastical always touched the everyday. Right. Um, you do certain things like, you know, you remember your ancestors, you do veneration ceremonies multiple times a year or like a few times a year to remember them. Um, you sort of like negotiate with, the, with these ideas, that you know, whereas your friend might say like, oh, the bucket fell or something, you know, if, if your grandmother says like, I saw like the spirit of my brother and kicked he kicked over that bucket you wouldn't be like grandma are you did you eat too many of those mushrooms right (laughs) um so I've always seen myth as something very interesting I've seen like I think myth is something that changes depending on who is you know who's experiencing it or who is interacting Um, for some people myth is something that's very like removed it's something that's very uh, clinical it's like creation stories it's you know human beings trying to make sense of the world right Um, and for some other people myth is something it's like culture it's history it's things that like stay with them right so I think it's yeah so for me like myth has always been something that is um, ever present um, and so when people talk about myth, uh, I tend to just sort of like sit back and listen, but I have my own like ideas of what like myth is, but I, I tend to also just make room for people to kind of run the gamut and have their own, uh, personal sort of like experiences of myth or, and with myth, if that makes any sense.
3: It does. And it's one of those things that is hard to, to pin down a definition for because, it's like sometimes it's stories about how the world was created but sometimes it's not that at all. sometimes it has root in hi- real history and sometimes it doesn't at all. sometimes it has religious beliefs attached to it and sometimes it does not. sometimes it is the the belief system and and the the sole true things for a people who are very much still living and with us like myth isn't always distant it's not something that only exists you know in ancient greece like that's not the only place that that myth applies to it is also very much still a living thing in so many ways um my day job is working for a company that does mythology themed summer camps so a lot of my job is thinking about myth and like where the line and they're not lines they're they're blurry nebulous regions between what we call myth what we call folklore what we call a fairy tale they're, they're such artificial definitions, I think, in a way. And it's probably come up with people who, you know, like, wanted to shelve books or title university classes. And that's how they <laughs> decided, like, if it was written after 18 dickity two, then it's a fairy tale and not a myth. And, and it's like...
1: rigidly defined rules of all of our yes. folly and merriment.
3: <laughs>
2: it's so I, much better than that. I am, I am sure, that. like, so many things we could just blame the Dewey Decimal System.
3: I would love to, like. yes. I would love to blame. I don't know if that's... I mean, it's probably at least partially accurate for <laughs> for why but it is so blurry and, and it, it's... it's
1: surely the fault of someone British I mean... yeah, it's probably yes probably.
0: but yes yeah. I mean honestly let's just blame Dickens Unfortunately, sure that's had... fine, yeah. fine with that Sorry, okay.
3: you know me I'll always blame a Victorian if given the, <laughs> the chance
2: just all of them <laughs>
3: just all of them
1: collectively
2: it's,
3: that's always pretty much always fair
2: it's easy
1: odds are you're right when you do this <laughs>
2: but i think it's interesting that talking about things that we think are true is actually really hard sometimes and like talking about those things collectively is really hard sometimes and i think that myth fills in the ability to do so like however however you construct myth and we construct myths in lots of different ways but it lets us say what we think is true by telling a story about it by having you know, by having something built up around it.
3: I will always think of the line from, um, it's in the Midsummer Night's Dream issue of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Things need not have happened to be true. And that is how I feel about so much mythology. Like yep. it, it expresses a true thing. It expresses a soul true thing. Maybe it didn't literally happen like this, but that doesn't mean it's not true.
0: Right.
3: And and that's 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 part of my faith and my, you know, my, my pagan ass doing its pagan <laughs> ass things. Um but I, 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 that's, a, that's one of those lines that I read it and I was like, yes, yes, this line understands me. And <laughs> I think that applies to so much like mythology and legend. Like, did it literally happen exactly this way? Maybe not. But it is a true thing. And it can be a very true thing, especially for the people to whom that story belongs. And it can tell you so much about who they are and what they value, in addition to just being often a cracking good story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, (laughs) there's there are only so many stories you hear about like a not like a naughty tortoise who (laughs) does all these things that are actually quite selfish. And then you realize that, ah, yes, this is this is this story is not really about like having pottage or like spill over my head because I'm trying to steal it from the pot when no one has had any yet. Right. It really is that you want me to value um, communal living and sharing and thinking about you know whose belly is empty when my belly is full right um, and yeah things like, I think also when it comes to myth and truth I tend to think about whether I see myself as the arbiter of truth or someone who receives a certain part of truth but that truth exists like outside of me right so I think that there are a lot of things that are true that don't necessarily like center around me right and so that's that affects how I see the world and when I think about myth and world building I think that so much of that leaks into our world building right so much of it and I, I, I don't mean just like pulling like this myth and that myth and you know making explicit references I mean when you have stories that are told that you know you have sometimes you have stories that are told where the main character drives everything they are the arbiter of truth they are the one who defines things for the world right and people people operate in a certain way because that is the underlying underpinning belief right and then you have other stories where the main character or main characters experience these things right and they are somewhat apart from it but they have to negotiate with and navigate those worlds that they're like they are not centered right and i think that those are also world-building choices that you make
2: yeah i think that the fact that whether we are like explicitly aware of it or not like we're all sort of swimming in myths all the time like we build up the world around us in various different myths and i'm sure we could come up with plenty of modern myths that exist today um <laughs> that we sort of have around us but they they do come into how we build our worlds like you know and Maybe that's, you know,
0: how we build our worlds and what we socialize people into believing can be true.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Because that's another thing I see a lot is, you know, people will read work um, and they'll come back and they'll say, like, ah, oh, I like this, but I really feel like this thing is like a modern take on this thing and I'll ask them like I'll prompt them be like why does that feel modern to you and they'll say like well because you know women didn't really have the power to do xyz and I'm like really so what do you mean they're like you know like in like medieval society on which this is based and I'm like okay look at this name this name this name this is not medieval European society and they're like (laughs) I'm like so why did you think that and then they go like oh well you know I just thought that this and this and this and I'm like okay but, but why did you think that though Right. And so then you're able to sort of like tease apart and like discuss, you know, just how we how we put together myth, but also like how what, what we carry when we encounter other people's like myth. Right. When we encounter mm-hmm. stories. Right. What do we bring into it that allows us to be more or less receptive? What do we bring into it that changes the experience we have? Right. Um, Is it, you know, people? Is it someone who has never heard of or read anything about like matrilineal societies and then when they encounter it they go like wow that's really cool but it's also so modern and then you're like actually not that modern actually right? <laughs> yeah
1: yeah and then you have
0: to you know or um even like the idea of uh they, I read this book really recently I highly enjoyed it um the idea that people are born and given the name of the place that they live in right, which mm-hmm. honestly, like, that's how all the English names came about, right? <laughs> it's either <laughs> like where that. you were
3: born or what Wait, you were doing. Like, those exactly, are two yeah, options.
0: Exactly. I see you, Baker, right? I see you, Roundtree, <laughs> right? You know, it's it's that that's something that, like, even outside of the Western European sphere was, like, present, right? It's pre- present in, like, um, Latin countries, like, present in, like, some African societies, right? Um, and it's something though that now that people, like, a lot of people are so on like they're not socialized to know like they don't know that or they're not like socialized in a certain way and so they'll pick up this work and go like oh I really like that that's a really interesting idea but also how would that work and you're just like you know that actually worked for like hundreds of years for like a lot of
2: people you know so it's just interesting yeah I think it's interesting, too, that when you think about history itself, so much of it is myth, because yeah, we, yeah. we narrativize history. And whenever you narrativize something, you start braiding some myths in there right with it. And so I always I always find it interesting when people refer to something. Did that really happen? Is that historically accurate? Is that, you know, how did that work in history that half of what they pull into it? is the myth that's been built up around it and how they perceive the past through the lens of myth. And so much of that myth is really informed by what we value or do not value currently, not what was actually present or valued at the time and place, because history is not only a foreign country, it is many foreign countries, multitudinous foreign countries, and all (laughs) the different places and all the different times were all different.
1: I was going to say, think about how, like, the Alamo is mythologized in, in Texas. Like, when, at the time, it was just a, a drawn-out losing battle. But, like, we, you know, it has been mythologized to the point of, like, this, you know, brave stand that 96 men do. But also, like, if you ever go there, you're just sort of, like, like...
3: It's extremely it, underwhelming.
1: It, it's underwhelming, but at the same time, that underwhelming is kind of astounding because you're, like... like how did it take that long to capture this place? Like a a good running jump gets you over the wall. (laughs) Well,
3: I think, I think that too. And then also like when you're thinking about contextualizing the past and, and how we see it through our lens, how we look at other myths and contextualizing it through the myths that we tell in the modern age too, you so often will run into the idea of like, especially when we're talking about mythology, right? The hero's journey. And the the singular hero who is the manly man doing his thing. And it's like, if you actually read Homer, like if you actually read what the ancients thought about these quote unquote heroes, it's like, these were not people to emulate. The, the ancients were not telling you to try to be like Odysseus. Odysseus got a lot of people killed. Like he, he, he was not successful in his main goal of bringing his men like back home. Literally, they all died. Every single one. That is not a leader to emulate. Those are not good leadership skills, but we, we, we project back onto it. I think it's, and it ties up in history, too, right? We always have these ideas of, like, the single, usually male figure in, in Western European society, especially. We have this idea that, like, they make the history and they make the changes and we have all these kings who did the important things. And it's like, really, though? Is that it?
1: We still do it. We still are like these billionaires, like, you know, single-handedly built the Twitter. Like, no, no, they they did not.
3: And (laughs) so it's like, it it brings into such key focus, like what we, and I say this, this is a collective societal, we, it's not many of us individually, personally, but like what the society (laughs) needs to be true in order for certain power structures to stay in place. It's like,
1: "Mm
2: -mm, did you, really? Are those the good choices? (laughs) No, (laughs) no. Well, I find it interesting, too, because, like, I feel like as writers, we have to be very aware of these things, because that whole idea of, like, the the great men theory of history was, like, that's how history was taught for a really long time, and I feel like we, we have actually kind of started to move away from that. I think a lot of curricula now focus on things like social movements and cultural, you know moments and economic factors and all these things but that great man of history way of mythologizing history and way of understanding how things work like i feel like you read a lot of fantasy novels up until about 20 years ago and that's the chosen one dynamic right that idea that it's a person it's a one person thing that that's what changes the course of history and I feel like we we kind of point out that trope now and I think have largely, you know, moved away from it as a genre because we're doing different things now. But like you compare how people learned history to how they wrote a fantasy novel and it's like, oh, well, that does kind of make sense that you would understand this is how the world changes. This is what this is how things get done is you have one person who is the guy to do it. And <laughs>
1: The world is bad, but once we put the right guy on the throne, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> and again, it's a thing we haven't even escaped from.
3: And I, that's the simpler story to tell. Yeah, it's it's the simpler story, but it's pretty much never the true one. There's always a group. And like, I mean, I, th- I feel like the Ur example of this in, in modern fantasy is Aragorn and Lord of the Rings, right? We have to return the, the return of the king. It's right there. But did Aragorn do all that on his own? No, no, he had lots of help. Like, Did he do much not... of
1: anything at all? <laughs> he he made things. a nice speech.
3: He made a nice speech. <laughs> he brought, all the, dead speech. He he brought all the dead guys. He got the dead guys. He got the dead guys. So like he did things, but he didn't do any of them alone. And that's actually kind of, I think a lot of the point of those books is that no he one He called in a favor and the dead
1: guys showed up and actually did the work.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you no know, one acts individually <laughs> and, and, and you can't and have success without and teamwork. And teamwork. There's a lesson there
2: that it's okay to ask for help, even from dead even people. from the dead.
0: dead. <laughs>
2: Necromancy's oh okay
0: if you're using it for good purposes. <laughs> uh, I I don't know. I um, I feel like as a kid I thought of well I thought of Aragon as I really was just I really thought of Aragon as like Vigo Mortensen is the cute one. And that's, that was the takeaway for me. Um, I, I, a very that, reasonable takeaway. <laughs> take yeah, away. I, like my, my, my child mind was like, oh, he didn't do much, but he was the cute one. He, someone had to be there for the aesthetics, right? While well, everyone else did the work. <laughs> um, sorry, don't, don't, like, don't, don't come for me. I have a lot of hot takes, but let's just not, um, I have a very big hot take about anakin but let's leave that for another one right but um getting to this idea of speaking of
1: modern myths
0: (laughs) (laughs) getting to this idea of like the chosen one and you know the way we mythologize and the way we we try to center things right center certain people to explain the structures that try to make sense and deal with and really cope with the world that we're handed, right because we we are in the process of myth making right and we are becoming other people's myths as well right so i had the chosen one and actually i actually don't think that the chosen one myth has gone away um and i don't think i think it's still ever present in very interesting ways um but The thing about The Chosen One, and I actually wrote an article about this yesterday. What is it with me in these articles? Um, I think The Chosen One is so specific, in a way, that because it's specific, it's like, this is the prophesied one, who's this and who's that, right? Um, It becomes quite unspecific right because we just we have the shape the shadow of this person and it becomes sort of like a power fantasy for people right with well, the chosen one is going to be the one who's going to come and he's going to do all of this and you know it becomes a power fantasy for people to just sort of like fill in the blank for what they to really put in what they really want to this character right but i also think that there are very interesting ways to take that expectation or take at least the fact that people know the shape of the chosen one and do really interesting things with it right so for example uh, I'll give you a great example and a a, a shit one right so (laughs) a great example being uh, Tracy Dion's Legendborn right so we all you know you hear Arthur and you think the sword and the stone, right? You hear this, you think that. And Tracy Dion says, okay, yes, absolutely. I'll give you the, you know, the, at least the veneer of the Western European fantasy that you, you want or that you've been taught that this is what you want, right? So we start Legendborn with this and we're like, oh, but but we get a black girl, Brie, as the main character, right? And so people are just like, oh, this is nice. Like, we're just, you know, we're diversifying. How cute, right? And then you keep reading and Brie and all the things with her are not going away and you're like okay this is nice but can we get to the the cool part <laughs> right which is like we know that this person is like the sign of author and like Brie fits in somehow but eh, all of this stuff right and the really fantastic thing that happens and I'm, I'm not gonna spoil this entirely for people who haven't read it yet I just think just go pick it up is you discover you get to a point where you discover that Tracy has used your expectation about what you think you know against you. And you sit there and you think about it and you're like, well, shit, (laughs) right? (laughs) This is... I've spent so much time thinking, I've spent so much time carrying this unconsciously into this book, this idea of there's a chosen one, and there's this, and there's that, and this is what they look like, and this is what they do, that I haven't been paying attention to the story that has actually been unraveling in front of me, right? And then you get Legendborn. It's a fun book. Go read it, right? Um, And I'll give you a different example. So that's legend-born, but a different example I, I'd say was done poorly. Had all the ingredients, but but didn't go well. Marshall, I'm bringing it back from four years ago because I'm still salty. It's Game of Thrones. <laughs> Saltiness begins. Please prepare yourselves you will need lots of water for this because there's a lot of salt coming like ocean levels of salt i'm right
3: there uh, with you <laughs> pour in the sodium yeah. alongside we've all been we've all been salty still hurt i will die angry we, oh,
1: we are yes. living in the bonneville salt flats <laughs> yes
3: so bring it bring the tide yeah, so bring the tide the,
0: <laughs> the idea of this um the prince that was promised right and we have Miss Andra who's been just like telling us all of this like stannis who's made all these decisions for the prince you because he thought that's who he was. And Game of Thrones tried to do something very interesting where they tried to, you know, it's like the prophesied one, but they were like, guess who the prophesied one is? And we're like, okay, great, because we still get tension, right? We still think we know things, and you can still reveal things in very interesting ways, right? And then they built up the Night King. They did all of this stuff. They promised us people would die. And then we get to that final battle, and, you know, Peter Dinklage stands there, looking adorable telling us all these stories of tales and history and story and why story exists and then nobody dies and uh aria just walks up goes shanky shank and the night king is dead and that was it that was like that, that I mean that I mean it the long night was like 6 hours like this is not oh, was it even 6 hours like it felt like it watching it <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt like the, the long night was, was 45 minutes and the Dothraki who died in vain were resurrected again Reappeared. in the same, Reappeared. Yeah, the same episode for like no good reason and uh, I was just like there were ways that you could have just, that, that could have been spectacular it could have it been because
1: it so much for that implies, you know, there's so much narrative there that the Night King had a purpose had a mission, had you know, what they were doing meant something. And like that they weren't just burning down everything. Like, especially going straight to Bran. There was there was a thing there. There needed to like a confrontation that was verbal and cerebral needed to occur. And Nah. I mean, I'm okay nah. with with you know Arya doing the killing blow and that shatters everything. That's cool. That's but fine. it didn't have <laughs> it missed the middle bit <laughs> that, that it needed yes. to have.
0: Yes. And that's the thing, is like I, I didn't ca- it wasn't about, oh, why would you make Arya the chosen one? It was literally like we part of the reason why we even care about the chosen one is the journey. Alright? What is going to like like it's it's like the author is the carver. This is a slab of wood. How are we going to chisel it down so we get the shape of the person we're expecting? So when this happens, right? Like you have given us this implicit promise that this thing is going to happen. But when it happens, we feel like, yes, this was what I've been waiting for. This is my time. This was worth it. And you know what they said?
2: No. <laughs> They I mean, said all. literally yeah. none that of is... the journey mattered. Yes, literally yeah. none of it mattered. Well, and it's, it's. I think it's an interesting question of craft too that we can all learn from, which is that surprising your audience is actually not the end goal. Satisfying your audience by building up to those moments, and that they can, even if they didn't see it coming, they can put the pieces together and see, looking back, that is where we came from. I see the journey. I see the development. Well said. Yeah. Ugh.
0: We probably should leave the chosen one behind at this point. But
1: Part of that is defining what exactly the chosen one means. I mean, you mentioned Anakin before. And one of the things I think, one of the things I kind of love about it, that sort of like stumbled ass backwards into brilliance, but like through poor writing is they're like, you are the chosen one. You were supposed to bring balance to the force. And
3: what do you think, think... that means? <laughs> like,
1: Yeah, it's like, <laughs> what did balance mean? Did it I've been mean asking this since
3: 1999.
1: A, did it mean, you know, there's a lot of Jedi and only two Sith? Maybe <laughs> balance to the Force means killing a lot of Jedi. Maybe that's exactly fulfilling. Like that prophecy of what the as chosen much dark one side is, supposed is to light do. side. Yeah. Do
3: we want that? <laughs> do do is balance actually what we're going for here? Is that is that a good goal
2: or? Well, and that is is a delightful poking at a myth, right? Because we hear the word balance and we think good, balance, (laughs) nice, equal, great. Wait, hold on. Wait, not always. Hold on. (laughs) Pump the
0: brakes. (laughs) I mean, my question is, do we actually always think equal? And I think that that... um... I think that that has a lot to do with who's telling the story, right? And who, again, like, what, you, what have you been socialized into? What have you been made to believe, right? Because some people will say that two glasses, half full, are equal, right? Some other people will say, like, they're not. And both are valid points of view, right? You just have to ask yourself, what does the word equal mean to you?
2: I mean, I think it is often as complex and yet simple as those little value words. What do they mean? And which ones fall into place in, in what like order in, in your mind in terms of what do you value more? What are you going to sacrifice more for? And I think a lot of that comes out in myth building.
3: Yeah, those values in myth can say so much about like what's important to a culture. And then if you keep digging, you find out why. Why is it important in this society that the guest right is something that is honored? And therefore we tell stories about the god who disguises himself and is either welcomed or unwelcome. You know, like, why is that important in this culture? Why is the story of the balance of the seasons important for this culture? Does it have to do with, you know, their food sources and things like that? Um, So much Egyptian mythology and Egyptian religion is about maintaining is about stability it's about things not changing it's about there is a certain order to the world and it needs to stay that way it needs to not change ever the world is ordered in a certain way because it is and the reason that like at least the theory behind like the reason why Egyptian ancient Egyptian culture was built like that is because they kind of looked around and realized they were the one society they could see that had it good they they could see that they always had enough to eat and that their neighboring cultures didn't and so they're their societal way of looking at it was well what we're doing must be right and the gods think so so we have to keep doing exactly this forever so that we stay bountiful and it's like when you look at it that way the myths make a lot of sense it makes sense that they would they would crave stability over and see chaos as the ultimate enemy i mean all the enemies in egyptian mythology are agents of chaos whereas like norse mythology there's a lot of chaos everywhere <laughs> because they're sort of always living on the edge of stability as it is so chaos isn't so much a huge paradigm shifting threat as it is part of life we got to deal with it and so do our gods make friends with chaos because... make friends with chaos it might turn into a salmon it might end the world who knows depends on the day but it'll be entertaining one way or another
0: ah uh, and Smoked I guess either the... way the some of the West African response to that would be negotiate with chaos because chaos has its reasons and uh, you know you you just as you have your reasons you have to respect the chaos has its reasons right um I will say though as you're talking about like myth like specific kinds of myth and you know how it, they tied to the culture that they originate from right we talked so briefly about the chosen one but we didn't talk about the chain of being right the idea like where all of that came from right the idea that you know people looked around and they were like well some of us are kings and some of us are poppers so there has to be there has to be a way for us to sell this right and it has to be that <laughs> you were born to be a jester you are actually god's funny you are hilarious you were born to be a jester so so you're just so you will always be whereas you were born to be you were the divinely appointed king you are the one we've been waiting for right um and you know then of course they had to fudge it in little bits when they did things like ah a girl child ah it was the male child you know all of that um but yeah i think it's so like so i think that yes the cultural is always tied to myth right it's always tied to myth and so i think the idea that you can create myth that is sort of like a cultural and thus a political is naive at best <laughs> and uh just deleterious at worst but unfortunately many people will still want to die on that on that hill and that argument so i mean i'm just like uh, you know what if you if you find me at a con and you want to talk to me about how fantasy is inherently apolitical then uh i'll say uh bring me a lot of snacks because we're going to be there <laughs> the whole night right here I'd be like
3: out just out just out right now well no we were talking in the last episode our last one was a, we were talking about religion and and we talked about when characters believe things And when that belief forms so much of their worldview and thus their actions. And I think mythology is and the myths and the storytelling that they tell about themselves and about their culture is also a huge part of that. And that can be such a great thing to bring into a fantasy book is characters who have these deep beliefs that actually drive what they do. Now, of course, sometimes you have to teach those to the reader, too. So you're teaching them two stories at the same time Ah, now. But that's fun. That's fun. My favorite books are the ones that do that.
1: I mean... I always like going back to to Watership Down, which uses storytelling and myth-telling so well. And then...
3: Oh, so good. El Herrera.
1: Yes. Yes. And then, I mean, the thing that I love the most about it, I mean, spoilers for a 50-year-old book, but (laughs) is, you know, at the end, you know, it's, you know, a generation later, and our heroes now, as old rabbits, are hearing, you know, one of the mothers telling telling the little little i forget what the name for child rabbits are but they're telling all the children like uh, another el herrera story but it is actually their own story of what they did in the book and but it has now become an el herrera story it's like that sounds you know it has become myth even though it is not even a generation old yet
0: yeah i mean um one of the but oh uh, gosh I love Watership Down but that's another conversation. Um, we could do
1: a whole episode just on. Watership we, Down. We
0: could, we could we could do oh the episode. world build oh it's so beautiful it's so good.
3: You'll One have to come the... back and we'll do that.
0: Oh yeah for, for sure episode Watch entirely it. on bunnies it'll be perfect yes, yeah, entirely great. on bunnies and we should yeah briefly to talk about uh oh, well no nah, 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 nah. let me let me leave that that that's too dystopian. Um, <laughs> so i think one thing i've loved um just while i was writing forged by blood is you have main characters with like different beliefs right so you have a main character demi who has been raised to believe um a certain that life operates a certain way that she has magic for these reasons and um that people with magic are persecuted and yes people with magic are persecuted she lives through it right she's the remnant of um the kingdom that was conquered (laughs) right um right before she was born um I won't spoil any more of that I just just go read the book right but um one of the things that you know I had to do was spend some time sort of like talking to readers about like this is what you know this is what demi believes these are the ways that these things like show up and these are the ways they affect the world that she lives in and how she sees the world right and then you've got other characters who share some of like similar identities that she has but they don't believe the same things right um so the world is actually the world is somewhat split between well it's not evenly split right there's a balance but you know it's never half and half right you have the Olusha who are born with blood magic who have um who believe that their magic is inherited from the gods and that magic is meant to live in harmony with the world in specific ways right and then you have the aja who are um spirit broken that's literally what Aja means right Olusha are called spirit bound and Ajay are spirit broken and the aja are like most of the worst of the world right and and Olusha becomes an Ajay, this is not actually a spoiler, you can even find this in articles online, but Olisha becomes an Ajay by killing. Once you commit an act of murder, you break your spirit bonds. Once you break those spirit bonds, you slowly lose yourself, your mind, and all your descendants will be born magicless. So all of them are born Ajay. They, they, there are no take backs. <laughs> that, that's it, right? And so you know, the reader has to sort of like negotiate and like see like these are the things that Demi believes. And these are the reasons she believes these things. And these are things that other characters believe. And sometimes those things are diametrically opposed. And what, what do you do in situations like that, right? What do you do when you are somewhat certain that the way you see the world is the most moral way? And someone else is certain that the way they see the world is the most moral way. What do you do with those two points of view, like, cross paths? Yay! That's
3: where
2: you get good story. That's where plot comes from. Tension! (laughs) All those delicious things. This is the part where I look at the notes and say, we've been talking for about an hour. Is there anything (gasps) that we haven't talked about that we really want to? And I'm sure that's, like, a lot of things. However... (laughs)
0: Oh, there's so many things to talk about
2: <laughs> oh gosh well if there is anything that you want to especially dig into we can we can dig for a few minutes more absolutely no
3: i don't <laughs> want this to end this is so fun you'll have to come I'm, back for part two sometimes have to back for part
2: yeah too there's too much to talk about here it's it's oh, such a big gosh. topic
3: there's so much wrapped up in it yes. which is <sighs> why we love it
0: Oh gosh, I have so many examples of so many, just so much gorgeous work where I've seen people just sort of, not just like pull, not just craft these like fantastical stories that like make references to certain myths, but like that really embody certain myths that really are speaking to, I think... A large body of people that like haven't been directly spoken to before right or haven't seen themselves sort of like focused on or um haven't seen their myths right um and uh i think one common question that i hear a lot at cons is you know why is it important for people to engage with their own myths or to have them to see their myths in like you know culture or to see to see themselves right why is it important and i think because it's so very hard and isolating to um, live in a world where you don't see yourself reflected. And that's not a thing of hubris. That's really just a thing of like human beings are social animals. And part of how we learn, part of how we introspect, part of how we reflect is really literally having like reflections, just having mirrors, right, that we can um, use, right, mirrors that we can project ourselves onto to you know sort of like tend towards more positive behavior or like avoid negative behavior or rumors that we can oh gosh rumors mirrors mirrors that we can um use to really just take like walk down paths we never thought we'd be on right or believe that we are capable of things that we never thought we were right? That's why it's always hard to be the first to do something, right? Because it's always such a risk. And you hear a million, a thousand, like, 100 million times about how much what you're doing is unprecedented. And, you know, it's just the lack of precedent itself is enough to keep people from discovering and keep people from trying things, right? Um, And then somebody does it. And because that one person did it, everybody suddenly believes that they can do it too. Right. And some people will fall on that journey, but a lot of people will make it through. And because they made it through, thousands more will do the same. Right. So, in that way, like the myths we prize, the stories we tell, like hold such cultural significance. Right. We talked a little bit about how we're always reacting in real time to what came before but you know i think also the format of what came before makes a huge difference right why like our modern society prioritizes like paper and records and writing things down whereas like more than half of the cultures of the world are oral cultures where myth is past history is passed down like through people, through living memory, and that it is it is a whole cycle, right, and that cycle keeps things going, and the belief is then that like it that history becomes eternal, that history means something right as long as somebody has a living memory, it will always be something that is precious and special and something that will help a new generation like find their way, right so um I think one of the biggest things in writing this book was trying to trying to pay like homage to that or homage depending on who you're talking to and how that <laughs> word works right um trying to um yeah trying to hold that preciously and trying to just recognize like the space that <laughs> i'm taking up and telling that this story and what's coming next, which is gonna be even darker. Sorry, y'all. Uh, actually, I'm not sorry. It's fine. Darker and sexier. Book two. Always make book two darker and sexier. Just yeah. real people in, yeah. and then and be like, "Here you go." Never apologize yes. for that. Yeah. yeah. That's... That's
1: how it should Punch always be. Punch them in
0: the face. Exactly. Punch them in the face, and then be like, "Ah, now that you 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 fall on the ground, look, it's an angel." There you go. um <laughs> So yeah, it's it's you know, part of writing the story it was like trying to be cognizant of um the voices that came before and then cognizant of the space I'm also taking up and um just to just in gratitude to like the histories and cultures like in like my family that's a very very large family and the things that were like passed down to me and to others right to just sort of like encourage us to never to never think of ourselves as just unnecessary but to just remember that each of us has our own sort of like there's just, like each of us has like a special reason for being where we are at the time we are right? And we matter, right? So I, that was like the biggest thing in writing this was being able to explore that. And then also um, being able to write more of the diverse worlds that like I grew up with and being able to (laughs) not have things as simple as like, this happened because this person is good and this person is bad, right? But also like, to like explore something as, fraught and as horror inducing as colonialism right but to look at it from the lens of do like what stories do like what survives when people are colonized right and what stories do colonizers tell themselves right because it's not a single story right everybody assumes that it's like there's like a a teeming horde and they're all ready to just devour right but it's never that simple right and so in doing this I was really able to just dig into that and I'll do even more in book two and that's where we are so I just talked a lot <laughs> but it that's, was amazing That's why you're here it's good that's it's good that's why you're here so <laughs> <laughs> I just talked a lot and now I, I also prepared a list of wrecks of books that I'm like are doing this and go out and Read these books. Including one I'm sure you've all seen this or maybe you haven't. Star Wars fans, where are you at? <laughs> it me, it me. <laughs> hey. Have you heard of the Hurricane Wars? It's coming out in October.
3: No. No, is it um is it part of the High Republic series? That sounds like a High Republic title. No. No, what is it? Not. Tell me,
0: tell me. So think <laughs> how do I describe this? If you are a fan of uh, the Last Jedi or like the new, the new age of Star Wars films, right? And you are a fan, or you are fascinated, or just interested in like Filipino history, like Philippines history, pick up the Hurricane Wars it's coming out in October, and you get airships. Either you get very, you get two perspectives of. You know a very i'll say a very 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 dark mm, i'm not gonna say what character in star wars this person reminds me of but so um, you're saying
1: it's an original work that if you like star wars you will like this book yes okay that's what i'm saying (laughs) that's what
3: i'm saying and i've just found it on netgalley and i'm requesting it right now so yes
1: Also, who is the brilliant human who is gifting the world with this?
0: Oh, this is this is the Um, she's a Filipino writer. Uh, she's lovely, lovely human being. She's currently in Australia, just eating all the food and leaving me out, which makes me very sad. Uh, (laughs) How dare? But (laughs) it's very dare, honestly. Yeah, how very dare. Um, there's also I think in September, "Son of Blood and Ruin." If you're a fan of Zorro, you're a fan of like Nawal like myth pick it up pick it up it's coming out <laughs> in september Say that title again Son of Blood and Ruin I have been specifically looking for more
3: Mesoamerican inspired things
0: Oh yes so And if if you are interested in an Afro-Venezuelan take on fantasy Yes. and you feel like picking up a <laughs> sapphic Afro-Venezuelan take on fantasy and you want to read The Sun and the Void which comes out in two weeks by Gabriela Romero La Cruz, pick it up pick it up, that's all I'm saying I'm just out here reading these books and enjoying myself. that's fantastic,
3: part of our this goal is, this episode is
2: more than fulfilling our mission to,
1: to make overwhelm our listeners TBRs yes. <laughs>
2: topple over and that's break our bookshelves that's the goal Break the bookshelves, all of them. Do you ever, like, look around at all the stuff getting published right now and just go, like, we are so lucky. Oh. And unlucky, because I don't have time for, like... I was about to say, totally. we're so lucky,
3: but we but... need, like, a month.
2: <laughs> I need a month
3: off where all I have to do is and, read books.
2: And I, like, I will only it. discover more things I want to read during that month that will yes. then... It's Speaking of myths, it's absolutely Sisyphean, but yes we keep we keep rolling that tbr up the hill anyway
1: i i keep doing think it. about how like when i was a teenager i would go to the walden books in the mall and the oh, sci-fi fantasy was... section was one shelf you know five feet high yay wide so i could stand in one place and touch every book <laughs> <laughs> and oh. you know like there just weren't enough books and now there's we are we are Blessed with an absurdity of riches and it keeps getting richer. And I think we're so I think it's just so amazing.
0: Yeah. Including yesterday.
1: Including
0: Including Forged by Blood that comes out on August eighth in US and Canada and August seventeenth in the UK and beyond. To my international fans, I love you and you're fantastic. Yeah. That yeah. Also, pick up The Splinter in the Sky by Kemi Ashingjiwa. It just came out yesterday. Banga Space Opera.
1: Nice. So many good recs in this episode. I love it. I I love it.
2: (laughs) Well, it has been wonderful having you on. And I absolutely think that we need to do a part two and or a Watership Down special. at some point in the future but until then um good luck with forged by blood enjoy enjoy the release happy birthday when it comes thank you thank you right now I'm like
0: working on book two and I'm just like just don't think about how everyone will be like oh my god oh my god what did you do (laughs) what did you that's do? what every
1: book that's keep- what every book two should be it should be it's a
0: good book, too. book one
1: you make all these beautiful things and all that and book two you take a hammer to it You just
2: break everything <laughs> this is our custom we would like to invite you to leave us with a little parting gift a bit of trivia to add to our collective world that we are building on air together
0: oh fantastic okay well i give to your world the gift of intimacy and specifically uh the characters in the world on a specific day in your 14 day week will have to will, will just sort of like magically have like find be attracted to and hold hands with somebody else that they've never met before for the entirety of the day as long as it lasts there you go delightful i love that
1: i love that so so much
3: i love it so
2: fun it it makes me wonder what happens in
1: a small town where everyone knows each other (laughs) like i
2: I love how like that runs the spectrum of like all the different kinds of tension that that can create from dramatic to comedic i love it (laughs) it's delightful and it has been delightful having you on thank you so much for coming
0: Thank you so much for having me. Um, I was going to say, imagine being in the middle of a bounty hunt and then uh, you just <laughs> flung and like, holy hands with like, you know, the criminal you've been looking for. Ah, they're right there.
3: Oh, and, uh, that's some delicious tropes right there. That's,
0: <laughs> I know. That's great. <laughs> oh, goodness. But yes, thank you so much for having me. Um, I hope you all get a chance to reach Forge by Blood um, or find me at a con. I'll be at Armadillo Con this year. Uh, in Austin. Um, and When this comes uh, out, that'll I'll... be
1: like, the next day.
0: <laughs> yeah, this comes out the next day, and then I'll be doing an event with Vaishnavi Patel, who wrote Kaikeyi, which is also another fantastic uh, take on the Ramayana. Um, we will also people, be at uh,
1: Armadilicon. <laughs> who will also be
0: at Armadilicon. So it'll be, it'll be a fun time. Thanks for having me. Thanks
1: Thank you for coming. For coming. Hi, you. Thanks for listening to this episode of World Building for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. If you want to know more about your hosts and the fantastical books we write, including Rowena's latest, The Fairy Bargains of Prospect Hill, Cass's Ovencycle, or Everything with My Meridane Saga, links to all of that information is on our website at worldbuildingformasochists.podbeam.com. We'd also like to remind you that we are currently running a Kickstarter for our anthology, Traveling Light, set in the world that we've been building on air. We're extremely excited about this project and would love your help in making it a reality. Links and more information can be found at our website. We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please do take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or just want to tell us how cute we are, there's a number of ways to contact us. We're on Twitter as at WorldBuildCast, and our email is WorldBuildCast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord chat room linked in the About the Show page of our website if you want to come chat with us and other fans of the podcast. We'd love for you to share the worlds you're making and help us all build until it hurts.